We may have had a number of amazing relationships. You know, this is one of those topics that for me is an amazing topic for us or for myself. Because I get to experience relationships that heal. Relationships that transform. Relationships that inspire me. And relationships that challenge me and help me to be a follower of Jesus Christ. You know, it's one of the greatest blessings that you and I can be able to have that God created. That we can be able to experience in His family. That you can be able to have a one-on-one with somebody or a group setting where you can be able to learn from one another. You know, oftentimes we use two metaphors which I feel they fall short of what it means to be a disciple. Sometimes we use the word coach, isn't it? And when you use the word coach, what are we talking about? Sometimes it's a person who, you know, a coach is somebody who trains an athlete or a student or a performer in a particular subject area, isn't it? But why I feel that the word coach falls short is, or that metaphor of coach falls short is because oftentimes a coach, what are they interested in? Sometimes it's financial, right? Sometimes we even employ business coaches that help us, but in the end, it's something that they can get from you. Their motivation is sometimes money or to win a game. And it ends there. It does not help us, help you transform your whole life. Sometimes we use another metaphor we use is mentor, which sometimes to a certain, to a certain extent is closer to what it means to have a discipling relationship. But a mentor is somebody who does what? Who teaches or, give it, or gives help to a less experienced person. Now, it can be a mentor in a workplace. So oftentimes, uh, some of us, we've got, we've got those mentors in our, in our workplace. But all they are interested in is helping you improve your work ability, isn't it? They're not concerned about your purity. They're not concerned about your family life. They're not concerned about your relationship with God. They're not interested in any of those things because their mandate is to help you do more at work at the end of the day. These relational metaphors can help, but they desperately fall short of what it means to truly understand who you are as a follower of Christ and having a relationship that can be able to help you transform you to become who you need to be before God. So today I hope and I pray that as we go through scripture, these scriptures will help you, will will help you understand what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ and also how we can be in functional discipling relationships. Let's go to God in prayer before we go to his word. Amen. Father, we thank you so much that you always afford us the right opportunities at every given moment. Thank you, Father, that even as we are about to look at what it means to be your disciples who are also disciples, 
and who are also helped to be who you want us to be. Father, I pray that as we look at these scriptures, you may open our hearts, open our minds, and help us to be willing to follow you and to follow you wholeheartedly. I pray for myself that even the things that I will speak, there will be things that come from you. I ask and I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Mark chapter 1. After John was, uh, so it's uh, from verse 14, I'll read from verse 14. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus walked, in verse 16, as Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. You know, this is the beginning of Jesus' ministry. You find here that Jesus had an important message, and that message was to what? To change the world. I mean, he is preaching about the time has come, and he is talking about the good, about good news, right? And he's talking about, you know, I appreciate what Ryan was talking about, just about helping us, you and I, to understand how the message of the cross transforms us. This is part of Jesus' message, what he was preaching here. That a God in heaven, the creator of the heavens and earth, wants to have a relationship with mere mortals. You know, whilst Jesus taught the crowds, Whilst he taught the many, many people, he also focused on training a few men. The Bible helps us to see in verse 16, as he walked beside the Sea of Galilee, then he called those he wanted to be with him. And he said to them, come, follow me. What was he saying? I want you to follow me. I want you to watch me. I want you to do the same. As I have done. Mark chapter 3. In verse 13. Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted. And they came to him. He appointed twelve that they might be with him. And that he might send them out to preach. And to have authority to drive out demons. What did Jesus want them to do? The Bible tells us that he wanted them to be with him. And then you'll be able to send them out. What were his intentions when you think about it? He intended to know their lives, isn't it? He intended to know their families. He intended to know their likes, their dislikes. He intended to know who they really were. But he also intended... To model for them what it meant to follow God. And as he modeled this life to them, he called them to imitate him. You know, at the end of Jesus' ministry, it's what's interesting when you when you look at when you look at uh, at the end of the Jesus' ministry, it's not the crowds that took Jesus' ministry forward. It was those that had been with him 
day in and day out who had the courage to stand up and preach. Those who had watched him, those who had seen him preach, those who had seen him heal, those who had seen him perform miracles, those who had been with him, they were the ones with the courage to take the message of Jesus forward. John chapter 13. All we're doing this morning is gaining a biblical perspective of having our foundations of discipling firmed and rooted in Scripture and in God this morning. In John chapter 13, a new command I give you, verse 34 and 35, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And he says, by this all men will know that you are what? My disciples, if you love one another. So Jesus comes to his disciples and says, I'm giving you a new command. I need you to love one another as I have done it. As you have watched me do it. That's how I want you to love one another. Now can you imagine Peter? Can you imagine, you know, John? Can you imagine the disciples? You know, they would have all these flashbacks. You know, guys like Peter would say to themselves, that's true. I remember when he called me. I remember when Jesus called me when I was fishing in that boat. I remember when he came to my mother-in-law's house and healed my mother-in-law. I remember when he set me down and he charged me. I remember when he told me, get behind me, Satan. I remember, you know, he, can, you can go, he could go on and on and on. And now what is Jesus saying to me? He's asking me to do the same. He's asking me to help others know about him. He, I've seen him do it. Now he's asking me to do the same. They would have known exactly what Jesus was talking about because Jesus had modeled it for them. Matthew 28. In verse 18, the Bible simply reads, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you to the very end of the age. Again, we see the same pattern here from what Jesus is talking about. He's saying, remember all the things I've taught you. Now, what I want you to do is, I want you now to go and make disciples. Make other people follow God as well. I've made you guys disciples. I've made you guys followers. Now, you go and develop new relationships as well. You know, that's why you start realizing that discipling relationships are more than just teaching each other how to sing a song, right? They are transformational. It's transforming your life in order to live a pleasing life before God. It's to live in holiness to Him. 
This was the pattern of Jesus. Evidently, the word disciple comes from the Greek, mateteo. Some teachers would say mateteas, which is a pupil or a learner. But as we learn today, we also realize that not only is it about just following God, but sometimes we need to, call, to have the confidence to call each other to follow God in the qualities that others of us have about Jesus as well. So in the book of Acts, we start seeing the evidence of this. Jesus is gone. He's died, he's risen, he's gone up to heaven. So we start seeing the evidence of these guys that had been with Jesus. How did they leave? How did they leave? What, what started happening after they had been in Jesus? What's the impact? What's the result? Let's look at the evidence in Acts chapter 2. So in Acts chapter 2 from verse 42. What we see is an amazing message that's, that is oh, something that's amazing that's about to happen. 3,000 people are baptized on the day of, uh, of Pentecost. And uh, amazing time. People from different cultures, uh, you know, 17 different nations that are clearly recorded there. Although the Bible says from every na- oh, uh, you know, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. Now, how did these guys start relating to each other? How did they live? Look at what the Bible says from verse 30, 42. It says they devoted themselves. This is the 3,000 plus those that had been there, isn't it? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and, miracle, uh, and, and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. These guys from, you know, from all kinds of different backgrounds, some guys had traveled over land and sea just to be in Jerusalem at that particular stage. They come, they get baptized. Right? They are now followers of God. Where do they go? They remained in Jerusalem. The ones who were in Jerusalem were the ones who were now selling their possessions. The ones who were in Jerusalem were the ones who were giving as each one had in need. Right? Because there is now a bigger family. The Bible tells us that they were devoted. They were together. No one claimed that any of the things that he had were his own. What a family. They had the conviction that... Whatever it takes to keep me faithful, I am going to be devoted. If we're meeting under the oak tree today to learn about God, that's where I'm going to be. If tomorrow we're going to be in the field over there, that's where I'm going to be. 
they were devoted. They had that conviction that whatever it takes to keep me faithful before God, I am going to do it. Acts chapter 4. From verse 32, the Bible says, all the believers were one in heart and in mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. Amazing passage, isn't it? What a statement to say about the church. You know, this is one of those things that drew me to the church when I first came in 1990. Yeah, I know, right? Some of you guys were not born. It's okay. 1990. So I start coming to, I start coming to church and uh, after midweek we are going, uh, you know, the brothers are walking sisters home and so forth. And as I'm walking, as we're walking home, I, I you know, I, I was staying, you know, a little bit out of town. So some of the brothers, you know, they took me in. They said, no, look, we're studying the Bible with you. Just let's, let's, uh, let's, uh, let's go. You will sleep over. So I went to, uh, for, for a sleep. So as I'm walking, uh, as we're walking home, you know, the, you know, the, the dinner is bought. And uh, that dinner that's bought, I later find out that the person who actually bought me that dinner was uh, was Ocelia, was my wife. And uh, so, so you can, so you can tell, so you can tell why I came back, right? But, but what I appreciated about that particular time, you know, for me. Everyone was the same. It didn't matter whether they were black, white, colored. Everybody had the same conviction. Everybody loved God the same. You had the same conversation. I mean, sometimes you get tired. Okay, did did he hear what I was talking to that person? And then, but yet you were challenged on the same thing, same conviction. And I appreciated that there were people who were applying what they saw from scripture. You and I will have the opportunity to do the same thing today and attract many people to be able to come to know God. In Acts chapter 11. In Acts chapter 11, you know, this is one of those scriptures that we teach as we are, you know, helping people to be followers of God. In Acts chapter 11, in verse 26, just the last statement there does it all, right? Uh, You've got a handout. You can always go and uh, re-look at some of these scriptures. Some of them I'm just reading parts and so forth because of time. And in Acts 11, verse 26, can you imagine this is what the Bible says? It says the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. It's probably one of the most incredible compliments about followers of Jesus. The pupils, the learners, they are being called the name of the person that they are following. They are imitating the pattern of the man that they are following. You know, if your goal in life is to imitate a man called Jesus Christ, And you do such a great job that other people start giving you his name. Then you are a true Christian. That is a compliment. When you start imitating the man to the T, 
that only what people see are the fruits of Jesus. They were imitators of his pattern. You know, when you come to the letters of Paul, uh, you start seeing again that call to imitate, the call to follow God, the call to, to imitate. You know, and, and what I love also is that when you see when you see Paul planting churches, he went to different places where he started uh, this one, uh, this, this church here and this church here and so forth. But you start seeing another interesting dynamic developing. That is the call to imitate one another as well in the church. You see that call developing. You know, because there are, as, as we grow and as we, as we learn to follow Jesus, what happens is there are some fruits of Jesus that we start, we start giving out, isn't it? That our lives start producing, isn't it? And those fruits sometimes are good for all of us also to be able to learn as we watch. You find in First uh, Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16, it will come on the screen, it says, this is Paul simply saying, therefore I urge you to imitate me. So Paul is saying here, imitate me. In 1 Corinthians 11 verse 1, also he says, follow my example as I follow the example of who? Of Christ. You know, Paul knew, he was smart. He knew that the goal was not for people to follow him, but it was for people to follow the Christ-like qualities that were in him. But like Paul, you know, oftentimes we need to have that confidence, shouldn't we? To be able to call others to imitate the good qualities that you have in Christ. Each one of us, we have some good qualities in Christ. We need to have that confidence that, brother, I need you to follow this in me about Christ. How many of us would be able to have the same confidence that Paul had? Galatians chapter 4. In verse 12, the Bible says, I plead with you to come up on the screen. I plead with you, brothers and sisters, become like me. Oh, can you imagine me standing up and saying, guys, okay, this morning's message, I want you to become like me. I can come across a little bit arrogant, right? <laughs> it can come across like you are a little bit overconfident of yourself. Don't you think you need to humble it out a bit? Of course, if you, if you, if you become like me, you'll end up, you know, you know, you know uh, there's, a, there's a few things that are wrong with me. Uh, you'll end up drinking too much coffee like me. You'll end up drinking, you know, uh, and, and, and learning my bad habits. But Paul knew that it was all about Christ. It was not about him. Now look at Philippians chapter 3 verse 17. It says, join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have, you have us as a model, keep, now notice this, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. See, Paul wasn't just caught up in that idea that Everybody should just follow him alone. But he says also keep your eyes open on those who are also what? Who are also following Christ. Who are also producing the same kinds of 
fruit as well, right? You know, we need to be able to look in our fellowship and be amazed and say to ourselves, man, I want to follow Mfundo the way he preaches. Or I want to follow Martin the way he sings. Or I want to follow this brother or this sister the way they have a prayer life. I want to pray like them. Oh man, my, my life this, you know, today is not doing so great. I'm not so great in what? In going out of evangelizing and so forth. But I know this sister or this brother, I can be able to learn from them. Church, can I challenge you this morning? This is one of the things that I feel in... I've been, I've been in the central for a while. And uh, if I can be able to challenge you from what I've watched, Mfundi and I, we definitely appreciate, as your Mfundi says, we, we, we appreciate the respect you give us, the honor and so forth. But I believe there's a notch that we need to take. And it is that notch of learning from each other. There's such great wealth here. There's such great wisdom here. And if we only limit it to the two of us, we are not going to build a great church here. We need to expand and see the little Christ that are all over and have the confidence to learn from each other. If we can be able to do that, we are going to start building an amazing church in Central. Philippians chapter 4. In verse 9, Paul says, Whatever you have learned or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. I mean, it's, it's almost like that Nike advert, right? Just do it. You've seen it? You've seen it in me? Just do it. 2 Thessalonians 3 verse 7, For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. 2 Thessalonians 3 9, We did this in order to offer ourselves as a what? As a model for you to imitate. Here's what I love about Paul. If you look at these scriptures that we have looked at, you know, Paul only challenged the churches he planted to imitate him. Because they had seen him. They had had a relationship with him. He had modeled it for them. So he's, he's calling them, I want you to do, imitate me as you have watched, as you have seen. Because he knew that's what Jesus did as well. What you saw me do, now I want you to do. You and I need to be able to have that confidence. The people that we call higher, the people that have been with us, the people that have seen us, let's have that confidence to challenge them as well. When you come to the pastorals, another interesting group of people. These are young men. Uh, what are the pastorals? These are young men who had, who had some interesting uh, characteristics. We also see the evidence of what Paul had put in. These are young men Paul had literally trained. They were young pastors whom Paul wrote to. He wrote three letters. First Timothy, Second Timothy, and the book of Titus. 
So he wrote to these guys, again calling them. What does he say in First Timothy chapter 1, verse 2? He says this, as a relationship, think about this. He says, to Timothy, my true son in the faith. Earlier on, I talked about, you know, metaphors. I talked about coach and mental, how they fall short. But this is a better metaphor which helps us understand discipling relationships. A father-son, right? Paul is saying, you are my son in the faith. You know, when I think about myself as a dad, you know, some of you guys probably think of yourselves as parents, as dads, and so forth. Some of these plenty dads here, amazing dads. You know, as dads, what does it take to be a dad? A lot of sacrifice. A lot of consistency. A lot of expectation from our kids, right? But also, a lot of grace. A lot of forgiveness, isn't it? Sometimes the relationship is great, and sometimes it's not, so, it's not so great, right? But there is always what? There is always that commitment. Because you understand that we are family, isn't it? That's what Paul uses to describe his relationship with Timothy. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 13, what you, heard me, what you have heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Just like Jesus was calling the twelve, he's saying, what you've seen in me, I want you to keep as the pattern. In Titus chapter 1, verse 4, he says to Titus, now listen to this, to Titus, my true son, in, the, in our common faith. It's like, whoa, okay, so how many sons do you have, Paul? I didn't realize you could be able to have as many as possible. You know, Paul had these kinds of relationships with Timothy, with Titus, with Silas. He had with many other young men that he was helping and grooming to get to know God and to get to follow God. So what does Paul do? What Paul does, he trains these young men. He commands, he encourages, he urges, he points out, he insists, and he reminds them. You get that strong sense of that father-son kind of relationship. That one that communicates, I love you, I want you to be the best version of what God expects you to be in your life. And when we get to the book of Hebrews, again, very interesting uh, book, and uh, it's, the book of Hebrews was, was written to an interesting group of, of Christians who were not doing so great spiritually. So what the, what the, uh, what the writer of Hebrews does is he, he writes to remind them. He writes them to remind them of the things that they used to do but they are no longer doing. So he starts calling them back. And he's saying, guys, you are not growing spiritually. What I'm noticing is you're not growing spiritually. You need to start growing from, you know, kids that are eating or drinking spirit, you know, you know, milk. But you now need to go to solid food, isn't it? And in chapter 5, from verse 11, he starts addressing something interesting. He starts addressing their hearts. 
In verse 11, he says, we have much to say about this, but it is hard to make it clear to you because you, are no longer, you no longer try to understand. Wow. It's a bit negative, right? We have much to say, but you are no longer trying to understand. You are no longer fighting to understand. You are no longer desiring to do what is right. That's what the writer is, is saying here. You know, sometimes we need people who start challenging us, right? People who look, look us in the face, in the eye, and tell us the truth. We need those kinds of people. Can you imagine coming to church week in, week out, you're hearing the message, but you're not even trying to understand. You're not even trying to listen to what God is saying to you. Can you imagine how bad your heart will be? So in chapter 10, what does he do? As, he, as the writer keeps writing, he starts reminding them, guys, let's embrace. Let's not give up meeting with each other. Let's embrace the faith that we have in Christ. And then in chapter 11, what he goes on to talk about, he starts naming the different examples of great men and women of faith that we see in the Old Testament. And then in chapter 12, from verse 1, he says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the wrecks marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. Do you see the connection that he is doing here? He has challenged them. He has reminded them. He has now focused them on great examples in the Bible. Then now he's saying, now that you are inspired by these great examples in the Old Testament and in the Bible, let's fix our eyes on Jesus. Follow God. Oftentimes when we're not doing so well, we need people to remind us. We need people to show us great examples that inspire us. But then we now need to be given the right path to be able to follow, which is what the, the, the writer of Hebrews is saying. In chapter 13, he addresses the idea of leaders. Remember your leaders, those who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. You know, being a leader is difficult. We work for the church. It's hard being a, you know, working for the church. Why is it hard? The biggest thing is example. Oftentimes, some of us, we don't even want to be to test the waters of being a Bible talk leader, right? Because we understand what it means to have an example before others. That's why he says in verse 17, he addresses that, have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as men who must give account. It's a family. It's of no advantage to a child if he is not willing to submit to their father, right? In the same way, it's of no advantage to all of us if we do not function together as a family. My last scripture, or our last scripture that we're going to look at in uh, Revelation chapter 14, 
and then these guys can take over. In Revelation chapter 14. Now, this is not one of those scriptures that we normally use or we normally read and so forth. Revelation 14, we're going to look at verses 1 to 5. You know, sometimes we get to ask, we get to be asked this question. Do I need to be in a discipling relationship in order to be saved? It's a difficult question, right? So, Rodwell, are you saying I need to be in a discipling relationship in order to be saved? In all honesty, I think if you and I can be able to look at the pattern which Jesus said, if we can look at the scriptures that, of which some of them we looked at this morning, if you and I are not following what the Bible is asking us to do, then I honestly believe it will be difficult for you and I to make it into heaven and call ourselves true followers of God if we are not willing to apply what we see in Scripture. Because it's written all over the Bible. The pattern is clear. Jesus exemplified it. Paul talked about it. You know, we see it all over in the Bible. Now we see it as we close out in Revelation chapter 14, from verse 1. Then I looked, and there before me was the Lamb, standing in Mount, on Mount Zion, and with him were 144,000, who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a sound from heaven like the roar of rushing, of rushing waters, and like a loud peal of thunder. The sound I heard was like that of harpists playing their hearts. And they sang a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and the elders. No one could lend the song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. These are those who did not defile themselves with women, for they remained virgins. They followed the Lamb wherever He goes. They were purchased from among mankind and offered, uh, as, first, and offered as first fruits to God and the Lamb. No lie was found in their mouths. They are blameless. Of course, this passage is describing the end times and what it will be like uh, for the redeemed. And then they say, you, they, you know, you get to learn a new song. I'm sure these guys have a heads up about what that new song is going to be. Probably that's what they're going to teach us now. But it describes the 144,000, right? And uh, which, which I believe honestly is symbolic because I mean you can't just take 144,000. Even the you know even the you know the, the chosen nation is not even 144,000. It's all symbolic from the book of uh, Revelation. And uh, but here is what's interesting about the symbolism in in all this. The Bible tells us this 144,000 they followed the Lamb wherever He goes. Remember, in the, in the beginning, Jesus called the twelve and he said, I want you to do what? I want you to do this. But now these are people who have now put their hands up and they are willing to follow God from their hearts. Wherever he goes. Are you willing to follow what Jesus is saying? Are you willing to follow the pattern?
that God puts in the Bible. Why I say the 144, it's, it's symbolic. If you look at the two, you know, the 144 is 12 times 12 times 1,000, right? The 12, you know, represents the 12 tribes of, of, of Israel. The other 12 represents the 12 apostles. And in that also represents you and me who are followers of Christ. And the number 1,000 simply signifies perfection. Because only in God do we find perfection. I believe you and I, today we've been called to be disciples. As you have a handout, please go through the scriptures. That's the reason why we're giving these to you, so that if you couldn't type notes or whatever, at least you have them. That's the first thing. But the second thing is, go through the life application that's there. We put some questions there for you to think about. Do you believe that Jesus expected all of his followers to be in a discipling relationship. Is this really your conviction? Are you currently involved in a healthy discipling relationship as an individual? Now, sometimes it can take different shapes and forms and so forth, and we're going to learn about that in one of our classes. If so, with whom? You know, Jesus, brothers and sisters, he set out a very clear pattern of love. He modeled it by training his disciples and encouraged them and he calls us to imitate him. Paul, same thing. Discipling relationships are more than just coaching and mentoring relationships. They embrace the sacrifice, the love, and the whole life perspective which Jesus taught us. And the church says, Amen. Amen.